All right, welcome to another episode of the Esports Next podcast. It is my pleasure, along with, as always, the lovely co-host, Megan Van Petten, founder of the Esports Trade Association, to welcome Sari Keitlin, who is the director of esports from the incredible Full Sail University in Orlando. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to have you here, and we uh, thank you as well for joining us in person in Chicago at Esports Next just a couple weeks ago um, as a speaker. For those who do not yet know what Full Sail is, it's a very unique university. The kids there get such an amazing hands-on education. Can you give our listeners your version of what is Full Sail? Sure, absolutely. Um, so Full Sail is really a specialized and unique university located uh, right outside Orlando, Florida. Um, and everything about Full Sail, all of the degrees prepare students for careers in entertainment, media, arts, and technology. Um, so you won't find your traditional degree programs here. There's no accounting or nursing or anything along those lines. Our business degree programs are entertainment business, music business, game business and esports, sports management and marketing. Everything that we have is very specific to the entertainment industry. Um, and something that I find so fascinating about Full Sail, especially um, knowing how I was when I was pursuing college, is every student that's coming to Full Sail knows exactly what they want to do, which is awesome yeah. and crazy and super unique. So yeah. it's definitely a university for a specific kind of student. Um, and if this is what you want to do and this is what you know you want to do, this is usually where you come. Um, and so it's really amazing and incredible. So we've got five degree programs that support the gaming and esports industry. We have multiple degree programs that are supporting avenues in the business space. Um, you'll find a ton, music, recording arts, show production and touring is a really big one, like live events. Um, and so that's really where a lot of our functionality and our bread and butter is. Uh, and, and in order to kind of stay on top of that and how those degrees really support the industry itself, FOSA also operates on an accelerated curriculum, which means that uh, students are taking every program and every course in order. So they're not selecting their courses. They all build upon each other. Mm. Um, they take that course for a month straight. Um, and they are in that course full time. So 40 hours One course per month. One, some one or two, it depends on how they okay. do it. Mm -hmm. uh, one or two courses per month, they have the option. And it is full minimum 40 hours per course per month. And they wow. are full time in that space. And so they do that because of things, um, you know, with all of our degree programs supporting such entertainment focused uh, areas and with our bread and butter, you know, really where we started was in live event production and recording arts. Um, right which is so gear heavy. You have to use these consoles. You have to physically yeah. do it to know it. And if you are in class for three months, once a week, you get your 10 minutes on a console before the next student comes in and then the class is over. You're not going to actually know how to use that console. Right. So we do smaller focused classes for a month long where every student is on the gear constantly so that by the time they end that month, they know everything about the way that everything works from a gear perspective and from the ins and outs perspective. Um, and it works out really well for us. While we do have some degrees that are not gear heavy, that's just how our model was when we started and that's how we kept it. So students will complete their full bachelor's degree in less than two years because of the accelerated yeah. pace of the curriculum. So it's awesome and it's unique. They stay in like a cohort and that cohort will move together through the program throughout. Um, similar to how you would in a grad program. Um, but it's it's unique and it's different and it's awesome. 
It's so cool that it's undergrad. Um, I did it in my master's. Mm -hmm. I love the cohort model. I mean, think about it, John, you get, this is your book for the next four weeks versus this is your five books for the yeah. next three months. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love the model. Whoever invented it is my hero. I did it. I love it. It's the way I, the way I study best. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you come up with that model and decide to use it? Um, sure. So originally, the very first degree program that we had was in recording arts. And our founder, um, John Phelps, is who founded Full Sail. And when he was starting, he was really spending such a significant amount of time in the studio and working on these things. And that's when he knew that in order to really... Um, have the ability to invest and learn and and apply what you're learning, not just learn it from a from a book perspective, but like applicable learning. Yeah. Um, you really have to be hands on, and you really have to do it every day. And and he really came up with that philosophy that it is real world education. Um, we're not learning from a book that hopefully when you graduate you're going to be able yeah. to go play on the console. You're learning at the console. Yeah. themselves that, that you're doing it uh and you really with the goal of as soon as that student graduates they're able to do exactly what they went to school for so yes there's entry level tiers to it but you can mm -hmm. leave college with your bachelor's degree and know everything that you need to know on how to mix an album or how to produce wow. a show um and so that's really what his function was and that's kind of what we built around I think that's so amazing. It's not just valuable for students, it's valuable for the companies who are hiring the students, right? I mean, typically you go through four years of school and even I, I have a marketing degree and I feel like I got a great education, but there were a number of things that I didn't have any idea how they were exactly done at the agency level or the, yeah. the brand level sort of a thing. And so the fact that the entire education is based on actually doing the job over a couple of years really sets these kids up for success. Um, what are the size of the cohorts? How many, how many kids? Um, Bill, it'll vary based on the degree programs, but it can be as small as like five, um, but usually no bigger than, you know, 15. Um, cool. And so they run kind of in that small cycle. The cool thing about it is because it's, staying together the whole time if you happen to have more um than what would be ideal in month one you're going to know that way throughout so you can plan ahead while they're still in their their first four months are more like a gen ed kind of look so yeah. you'll know at that point how many you have going through and you're able to plan if you need multiple sections um, of the same course that's being taught so it allows us to know ahead of time oh we've got a big group that's coming in you know we still have your standard traditional fall starts is always a big start. Um, and so we'll know, oh, we've got a big group coming in. Let's plan ahead and make sure we can have two different sections for this course so that they can stay, uh, you know, in that kind of digestible size, I guess you could say. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing to note is that there's a start of every month and a graduation every month. So we, are, oh, wow. yeah, so every month a new class, a new cohort starts and every month a cohort graduates. Um, so it keeps things rotating and it helps keep the cohort small by letting them start any month rather than only having them start at the semester time. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, over the last number of years, we've seen a number of companies in traditional, you know, live events, uh, entertainment come into the esports space, right? Because they said, hey, 
we produce all these big events. We see, you know, there's something big in Poland happening, 100,000 people rolling <laughs> up over the weekend. Uh, we got to get into this. Um, Full Sail sounds like is one of those groups that, you know, specialize in live events in the education side. At what point and how did your school recognize esports and say, we need to be providing this specific educational track as well? Sure. So it's interesting because in both contexts from an esports perspective, we followed our students here. We followed our students and our grads. So from the gaming perspective, you know, esports is not just um, our first athletic or one of our main athletes. It's our athletic. That's all we've got. That's what we're always going to have. Um, and that's a cool so, way to think about it. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so for us, we had already seen students, you know, in the lobbies of buildings and in areas around campus, there, there are hacked together land systems everywhere you look. That's where everybody goes. Um, mm -hmm. And so we had already had students playing against other colleges 2012, 2013, long before we ever really formalized anything or before anything from the collegiate perspective was formalized. Um, and so as that started to take shape, we knew that was a place we had to be. That's where our students had formed. We had seven existing clubs, student clubs on campus that were all gaming focused. Um, and so we knew that's where our audience was. We knew that's what the students really wanted. And formalizing it was like, in my mind, an obligation to them to kind of do so. From the events perspective, it's interesting because our grads kind of led us there. Our graduates from the live event degree programs, show production and touring specifically, all of a sudden we're finding these jobs doing esports events and gaming events all around the world. Um, yeah. And so when they're coming back, we do a lot of like a big feedback loop of alumni that are in the space. You know, because Full Sail is so specialized, the community is pretty small. So you know, having those that are doing it come back and tell the next ones who want to do exactly that same thing is a natural progression that we have. Yeah. So as graduates were coming back to talk to students, they're saying, yes, it's competitive gaming. I just put this event on at Dallas Cowboy Stadium for Dota 2. I was just, you know, overseas in China uh, helping facilitate events over there. I was just, and it's so cool. they pivoted there first. And with that combination that we, we came and followed, um, and that's really kind of how we started the entry point into that space. That's awesome. Um, how have you seen the growth of the program from the, the date when you guys really officially started it to today? How are you seeing the interest in whether it's full sale applicants or, or current students who are saying, I want to do that esports thing? Um, yeah, it's, it's honestly a bit surreal. Um, so a big thing that we from our perspective is uh, we do not recruit um, for our esports uh, teams, our esports outside. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that that will always be the case, but up to this point, since we've started eight years ago, um, we have not. And the big reason for me um, and why I decided kind of not to go in that direction is like we've been saying, Full Sail is unique. It's definitely specialized. I was not the kind of student that could have gone to Full Sail. I changed my major a hundred times in the <laughs> first semester and I trained, changed it all over the place. I think in one semester, I was civil engineering to elementary education to political science. So I had no idea. I could not have, have been here. And for me to try to encourage someone in high school to come here 
when it might not fit their learning style or it might not fit what they want to do is not it's not doing right by students and not doing right on how they want to learn. So for us, we look internally to our student body. Um, and when you talk about popularity or growth or size, there's a secondary reason why it's it's easy to not recruit from the outside. And that is we have about 250 current students that show up for every tryout, every time, never less. Um, oh. And to me, having five different degree programs that are all within the gaming industry draws a certain type of student in, draws a gamer in. They're very focused. They know exactly what they want to do. And I can't imagine myself walking through a line of 250 kids with like the best 16-year-old Rocket League player in the world and skip the line and say, sorry, he's skipping you and he's going to make the team instead when they all want to be here and they all want to do this. Um, so the growth is there. Uh, the popularity, you know, we we um, are pretty much known for like externally for esports events and events and how we do them at Full Sail. So we yep. did build an esports arena on campus, um, the Orlando Health the Fortress. Fortress. Yep, the Fortress. Mm -hmm. And um, that has really helped amplify the interest and the elevation from students. Because the cool thing about it that I don't know that a lot of people realize is the Fortress is a classroom. So more often, hmm. Fortress is used to teach more than it is used to hold events. And that is so students, like we had said, the grads were going to work in live events in esports. Now they can learn live events in esports hands-on while they're in school because we have an arena on campus. So we'll host events for clients from the outside and then our students will get to work on those or they'll get to shadow. So for example, we held like a, did an event with Red Bull a couple of years back and they brought a full production team, but they let our students shadow every single position of the production team. Um, some of wow. them will allow our students to fully work. Some of them are faculty with students that are shadowing, but in the grand scheme of things, whether it's an event that's happening in that space or just teaching throughout that space, that's where our students are learning how to do what they're doing. So those two things combined have really helped amplify the interest that we've seen. Um, and then late last year, um, we did launch a game business and esports program, which is kind of like a hybrid cross between our sports marketing program, our entertainment business program with some esports curriculum to support it all. Uh, that has been awesome. And that has really, um, really helped elevate a lot of interest and opportunity for students as well, kind of through that space. Yeah, um, I had the opportunity to experience the fortress in person a month, six weeks ago. Time, time flies. I can't remember exactly, but it was for the <laughs> XP League yep. uh, North American finals. I had the opportunity to go to the first one ever in Raleigh. And then I uh, didn't go the, the year in between, but this year, got to attend um and it's really really super impressive <laughs> to see the facilities on site and then when you because you like I, I shared all these um all of these pictures with my friends and videos you know like we've got the smoke going up and the at, at the very beginning when they're introducing folks but then mm -hmm. when you hear and this is your classroom it's like oh, cool what? Like, I mean, the kids have to be lining up to just get to this program, I could imagine. Um, I'm curious about your perspective on the opportunity and the growth of youth esports, given that for those who are listening and don't know, 
um, XP League is kind of like the little league of esports. Mm -hmm. They have a number of franchises, which are teams all around the country, I believe close to 40, if I'm correct. And they support four or five different games, including, I think, Rocket League, Overwatch, Valorant, Fortnite. They were doing League of Legends for a bit. I know they do Minecraft and uh, some Roblox as well. Yeah, and it's a, it's a tremendous community. It's so cool to see all of these kids come together and they are led by coaches, mm -hmm. which with the toxicity issues that a lot of people uh, experience online, especially female gamers a lot of times, these kids are being coached by people to not just help them get better at the game, but to be better people when they're playing the game. Um, we're seeing this dramatic rise in youth esports now with this infrastructure starting to be built, obviously full sale, um, is a crucial component of that hosting um, not only XP League North American Finals, but teaching our young people how to take careers in this industry. Share a little bit about your perspective on youth esports. Um, sure. So I'm definitely going to be a bit biased because I do own the Orlando XP League franchise. You um, do? All do right. You, I didn't know so, that. Yeah, I didn't realize and, that either. So um, uh, I am very... I couldn't believe in anything more than I believe in organized um, youth gaming together as a community and youth esports. Um, I'm a parent. I have a nine-year-old, nine and a half, nine and a half. I would get in a lot of trouble if I did not. <laughs> There's a big difference. Nine and a half. Year old. I'm not nine, nine, nine and a half. Between nine and nine and a half. Um, and he's very big into, plays, well, I would say, Little League, but he seems to do every sport. This uh, past season, cool. he signed himself up for flag football. Uh, I found out when I got the invoice. He said, all they need <laughs> is your address and your phone number. And I knew both of those things. So I signed up. I said, okay, you signed up. Good. Thank you. I'm going to change my email address now. He's um, used to buy, he's used to buy all the skins on Fortnite. He just took that credit card number and applied it. to flag <laughs> football. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I can see, and he's also a huge gamer. And so I can see firsthand that those are two different groups of friends for him. And to know mm -hmm. that the friends that he has within his gaming friends can get the same experience that his friends in flag football or little league are getting is really phenomenal yeah. because God bless him, but he is not going to be a baseball player when he grows up, despite everything that he thinks and says, um, <laughs> what he is learning and what he is getting is um communication skills how to bounce back from a loss how to recover how to yeah. um, work through a problem or a situation how to maintain positive attitude how to not let your frustrations get the best of you and mm. they're mm. the only people that are going to receive that level of education really or experience are those that are playing sports and that's a smaller cohort of kids than you think. And what you see parents end up doing is almost forcing their kids to do a sport so that they can get it. So you're forcing yeah. kids, they don't want to be there. They're crying every day. They're having a miserable time. They don't want to be a part of it, but you're trying to get them to get that level of experience. Right. To be able to provide that same experience with something that they love sets them out for life. Whether they're going to continue to go into competitive gaming or otherwise, to me, that's a foundational need that kids can now get through something that they really enjoy. On top yeah. of that, they are competitive and they do want to keep going. Um, from the collegiate perspective, we've seen a lot uh, that's changed over the eight years that we've been doing this. The biggest change is that at the beginning, 
everyone that was coming in had never played, had never been coached before. They'd never been part of a team before. They'd never, um, they're, they play yeah. called on their own in their, in their house and do their own thing. It is very different. Um, and now we're starting to see people that played in high school, played in middle school are starting to get those things come through and their cool. level of competency is so much different and so much greater because they don't just know how to play the game. They know how to be coached through the game and to yeah. be able to start that at like a youth age is such a big deal yeah. um, and makes just a world of difference to just their entire continuation, but also the landscape that we have looking ahead of us in competitive esports as a whole. That's incredible. You know, I, it's it's a good point you make about the two different types of friends and the opportunities to receive all of these benefits that we know exist in traditional sports outside of the physical exercise component. And I believe 100% every kid on your kid's baseball team is also a gamer but not every kid on his xp league team is a baseball player mm -hmm. right and so there was a stat i shared all the time this is a couple of years ago but it's still an important point because it's still valid is um two or three years ago there was a stat that came out that 87 percent of kids who were part of a high school esports team had never participated in team sports at all ever Wow. Yeah. And so it's a good point you make about these, you know, these two groups of people, because if you think about all the life benefits, not even just, you know, building the confidence and learning to win, learning to lose, learning to communicate, but just the, the friendship and the camaraderie of yeah. having a bad day, going through a tough time and you have someone there versus mm -hmm. not could save a life. It really could. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's really exciting that we are getting to these points that this infrastructure is being built. And I'm curious, you know, I'm curious what you see. Obviously, we've gone through a little bit of a, a esports winter market correction recently, but with you know part of part of some of this the the business sustainability challenges in my mind are that the the current adults who are old enough to work in the esports industry, the younger ones have esports gaming experience, mm -hmm. but don't have professional business experience or, or decades of that, right? And then the people who have decades of business experience didn't grow up gaming. So there's this gap and, and ESCA is kind of this bridge that brings people together. But as we are seeing, not just groups in youth esports, but also Full Sail University and other groups build up these people to help them gain experience and as they learn grow and get older pretty soon we're going to have a industry that is not only understanding of gaming and youth culture but also business mm -hmm. i'm curious of your thoughts on how you see that trajectory of affecting the industry for the future yeah so i definitely see it as positive because the gap that you note on is so right and it's something that we've struggled with leading up to this point in the esports industry because both sides need help like there's not one you don't there's not one that you're like you have to hire these people or you have to hire these people it's there there's something in the middle that we need to find and that we weren't really finding for a while um the the statement that i have had to make more often than i choose to admit 
because I oversee a collegiate program is like how many times I have to say like, I love that you love esports. I love it so much. And I am so happy that you love it. Loving it is not enough to get you a job in it. Being really good at Call of Duty is not enough to get you a job at playing Call of Duty or in Call of Duty or with any sort of studio. There's more to that. So that's a great foundation. But the amount of people I had seen coming in like, I'm going to work in esports. What do you want to do? Well, I'm really good at Call of Duty. I always go to my Smash Weeklies at Buffalo Wild Wings. That is so awesome. And that is a great start. And that is phenomenal. But there's so much more that we need to kind of put into that. And I think that that understanding is starting to be felt and known. Um, And I think the next two to five years, we're going to see people that are combining those two things their love of gaming and experience in only helping continue to improve the the landscape that we have moving forward. We've got two great scenarios that I'll kind of touch on from our area where we now have, I'm going to try to count, I think there's one, at least five, maybe more, that of graduates who were part of our varsity esports program, Full Sail Armada, either you know student leaders or team captains or whatnot that are now leading esports programs at other colleges. Um, and that is a really cool thing to kind of wow. see and feel is that cycle is starting and that's awesome. Um, we also have two of our graduates that work at Treyarch uh, Studio that mm-hmm. both of them started at different times, but were on very different teams when they were students. One was on our Overwatch team and one was on our Call of Duty team. Um, both of them said when they started, they were interviewing with Treyarch that they were told, and they were game design grads, so they had uh, game design experience, but they said the fact that they played collegiate esports or were involved in collegiate esports got their resumes to the top of the pile and helped them get the in at their interview because they understood what it would take to balance mm. your collegiate esports experience with your grades. It shows your investment in the game. It shows that you have the degree that supports the game design, but also the love from like a, a competitor or even a casual player. And that they both had the same experience where they came through and said, this is what they told me is the reason I got the interview was because I had collegiate esports experience. Now it was up to them to get the job and they did it. So it was all on them. But seeing those things come to life is also really promising to know that holistically, not just within the esports space, but globally, I think people are starting to understand the value of what it brings and yeah. how it can help, you know, support careers. And I think that, um, so I'll just share something personal. My godchild used to love GameStop. And I saw him on Saturdays and that's where we went every Saturday. We went to GameStop, looked around. He had his um, D, it's it's escaping me. Yes, Nintendo DS. Yes, yes. Thank you. And then we would, if we bought a game or not, we would end up sitting somewhere and I would watch him play. And that's what he really wanted is just for me to be there. And mm-hmm. the same thing last weekend, I was with little Johnny, John Davidson's son. And boy, he just loved that I sat there and watched him play. But I go back now, that's 20-ish, 15, 10 years ago, till maybe he was about maybe 15. We stopped going to GameStop, but he didn't stop playing. He went on to get his 
degree focused on gaming from April Welch of all, you know, IIT. Wow. He's an engineer, he's a game design engineer. And when I went to his graduation, when I went to IIT for our final meet, he said, Aunt Megan, and I was blown away. He said, what I loved most about growing up was you watching me play my DS. Oh, cool. More than when I bought him at GameStop, which was yeah. like, oh my God, a ton. More than all the fancy things in life. He thanked me for that. And that was just a year and a half ago. I didn't even know he would have remembered. But I say that story because when I did that, I was with him. That's what he wanted. It wasn't a lot of time. And I was really around like, don't let kids play. I didn't hear all that. This is my godchild, right? My brother never said don't. But boy, we supported him in what he loved. And he went all the way through to do what he still loves. And thank goodness. And um, no time was was ever wasted playing in his yeah. his parents' basement. You know, we and and that went a long way. That's awesome. I love that. Me too. Um, Sari, I know that you are also you're very passionate about diversity in the esports space. Uh, share a little bit about your experience with um, the diversity challenges in the space, um, maybe some solutions that you might see. And do you see it trending in the right direction or is there still a lot more work to do from your perspective? Um, it's interesting. I think both. I think we are going in the right direction and we have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I ever truly understood the phrase representation matters until I got into esports, and then I really Same. understood and saw it. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't feel as though I've been doing this very long, but I understand in esports sometimes it's a lifetime. But you know, 2014, 2015, I I didn't see another woman at the table in a meeting, on a call, in a room, anything forever, um, wow. years, and I didn't see people of color. I didn't see there, it was a very, um, you know, a sea of, of similarity, I guess. And it was a little bit funny at first, and then it was incredibly isolating and mm. it's not being somewhere and not having anyone that looks like you or that represents your point of view or represents your perspective is, is really tough. Being somewhere where an industry is being built as you're watching it being built and it's being built without that level of involvement or investment is even worse. And so mm. at that point, what I saw was, yes, I wasn't represented, but what I saw even more was neither were any of my friends. Um, and that's really where we just kind of wanted to take that pivot and understand that there are some incredible voices that... Mm aren't being heard or aren't being seen or aren't being recognized. Then mm -hmm. the change started to happen where people saw they needed to do better. And so I would get put at a lot of events and on a lot of panels to speak about being a woman in gaming. Um, <laughs> and I can do that, but there's other things I can talk about other than being a woman. Um, <laughs> talk about all the same topics. You know <laughs> all we don't talk about is crazy. Um, and so it was like, 
valiant effort, not enough. Um, and so at that point I started speaking, speaking out, um, and kind of responding because the big thing I didn't want is I don't want to be somebody's diversity checkbox. Um, right. All things considered, I am the safest diversity pick there could be. I'm a cisgendered, straight, middle-aged white woman. Um, I represent one small community. I do not represent all marginalized voices and I can't represent marginalized voices. I can help amplify those voices. I can help elevate those voices. I can give them my platform or share the stage, but I can't speak for them. And so if I found that that's what was happening, I would either decline or I would say, we need to see more that you're doing for inclusivity and involvement uh, Mm -hmm. to make sure that those voices are heard because our transgender voices should not just be heard on panels about LGBTQ communities. They should be heard on panels about careers in the industry and on panels about um, the future of education within the space because those are where those voices really matter. Uh, and what I have found and seen is that the it's a cycle, right? So as soon as it starts, as soon as someone's on a, a panel or does one thing, then, then it continues and people see them and then they know and then they keep yeah. going. Um, and so a uh, few colleagues of mine uh, that all work in collegiate space, um, women, when there was not very many of us, we came together and we started a group that we call eSports and Coffee. Uh, and it's really just a community. And it's a place for marginalized voices to meet, for everybody to kind of meet and connect, anybody in between, allies and otherwise. And then when there's an opportunity, like, hey, I was just asked to be on this panel. Does anybody want to do it instead? I've just done mm-hmm. three of them. And it could be a good opportunity for somebody else. And you see that happening quite often. And it that's what really makes me feel good. Um, the biggest progress I think that we've seen is, you know, from NACE, which I'm the chairman of the board for National Association of Collegiate Esports. And we did a we we started Women of NACE three years ago when there was only a few of us and we needed a place to chat, just kind of say, like, how can we get more of us in this space? Yeah. Um and then we took a picture at last year's convention in July, and there was, you know, a dozen. Uh, and then we took a picture this year's convention in July, and there was four rows of people. And wow. cool. that growth is awesome. This year, we also had our first, um, the uh, Black esports leaders all got together to take their photo. I, there was one where there would be, there, there was a time where Eugene Fryer was from Texas Wesleyan, was the lone person in the room and trying to mm-hmm. represent, and now they're getting... Um, a lot of visibility there as well. Uh, and groups like Queer Women of Esports, I think, are doing a fantastic job on just helping support LGBTQ community throughout everything that they do. Um, they have a fantastic mentorship program that really is combining and connecting a lot of folks. Um, Women in Games International with Joni, she does a, a, an amazing job as well, mm-hmm. just kind of leading the charge. There's so many good groups out there that are helping to make progress. Um, and I think we're starting to see it. And I think it's really coming together. Yeah, I love that. I'm curious, you know, you, you shared um, a number of uh, things there that um, some were the issue and some were solutions, which I love that because it's easy to poke holes, but it's harder to fill them up, right? Like if we recognize mm-hmm. the the challenge, what are the solutions? Yep. Um, I heard you sharing, um, number one is bringing groups together, mm-hmm. right? So creating a space where people can come together and then you will see them, um, see that group grow. The other, which is very selfless and uh, it's a really good point of, hey, I'm on a bunch of panels. 
they're asking me, I would love to give it to somebody else. Um, there's kind of that funny question where you have people advocating for diversity and it's like, yeah, yeah but all the seats are taken. <laughs> Is anybody <laughs> willing to swap out or to step out, you know, now and that's, then. And that's exactly what it is, is it is lending, being an ally often means, hey, I don't feel good rep being rep representing on this panel because it doesn't have an equal amount of voices or it's not really a shared right. space. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say I am, an example, we did this a couple weeks ago. I did an event. Um, for, I think she's part of ESTA actually, but uh, group Rise, they're in um, Canada, a uh, school in uh, Canada. She's doing mm -hmm. a fantastic, Rebecca's doing a fantastic job on supporting women in um, gaming. And she's like, Sari, we'd love to have you on a panel about like what it's like to be a girl gamer. And I said, absolutely. I'm in my mid forties and I have not been a girl in the, for a very long time. Um, <laughs> I know some really great co college age women that would love to, talk that are active in this space that are far more recent than I am um, yeah. that I think would be a much better voice for this scenario and they killed it and they did awesome and it perpetuated and one of them already got a second panel and it just keeps it going um, but something I noted I said it I think to Megan when we talked before that I, I think is commendable of ESTA and I think it should be said on this podcast is ESTA conference I have done I don't know well over 100 panels Wow. This ESTA conference a couple weeks ago in Chicago is the first time I've ever been on a panel of all women that was not about being a woman. That has never oh. happened to me in my life. And it was just, it was a conversation about scholastic esports and with some really phenomenal leaders in the space that are dynamic, that come from all different perspectives. And that was notable because no matter how many times I've done this and where I've traveled and how I've done it, that has never happened virtually, in person, anything until now. So if that's not progress, I don't know what is. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And, you know, a lot of the credit goes to Megan, who is our female founder, of course, and our team, which are is actually all comprised of women as well. Um, and it, it's super cool to hear that. I made me laugh when you said, you know, ask me to, I can speak on more than just being a woman. Right. And I, I remember, uh, as we were gathering speakers for this event, um, a couple of weeks ago, someone did say, I'm not even, I'm not sure if it was you or not, but was like, Hey, don't put me on a panel about being a woman in esports. And we've had those panels in the past and they've been fantastic, but I think it's important to recognize that we are growing beyond needing those panels of, of specifically that baseline of women in gaming. And now we can just support women in gaming with your expertise and your unique perspective based on your own life experience. Um, I just have a couple questions left as we are rounding up this episode for you. And so my second to last question for you is, for the students who are listening to this uh, to this podcast, how can they apply to be part of whether it's the esports program or any of the other wonderful programs that Full Sail offers? Um, easiest place to start is uh, our website. Um, Fullsail.edu is our main website, but fullsailarmada.gg is where all the good stuff is. Um, highly recommend joining our Discord. You'll find that information at the website and following along on Twitch. Competitive seasons just started. We've got some really great programming. We've got a 
varsity stream team. We've got shows and interviews and competition at night. So lots of great things going on there. Love that. And then the last question is, how can people follow you and Full Sail in the ways that you would like them to? Um, Full Sail as the handle on pretty much every social media platform that exists. They're great. There's also um, Full Sail Armada on every platform that is the esports specific social feeds. So would love follows on both of those. That's really great. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I think I'm the only person with my name, so you should be pretty easy to find. But um, look me up on LinkedIn. Sari Kaitlin is probably the easiest place to connect. I'm pretty active on there uh, and there almost every day. Love that. Well, thank you, Sari, so much for joining us today. Um, thank you, Megan, for being our wonderful co-host as well. And um, we're so excited to share all of this knowledge of your experience and all that Full Sail offers from this podcast episode today. So thank you for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me.